From Brainwashed. America's Cultural Revolution by Barry Howard Minkin. Lawsuit Abuse. The number of lawsuits in the U.S. has tripled in the last 30 years. The business community must pick its battles carefully, to survive the risks of fighting this abuse. Staggering legal costs, extensive delays, and huge judgments can severely affect a company's bottom line. The U.S. has gone overboard in protecting individual liberties at the cost of endangering the economy. Indeed, polling corporate executives revealed that 83% say that their decisions are increasingly affected by the fear of lawsuits. Small wonder, with law firms grossing well over $100 billion, according to Department of Commerce estimates. The legal system is rigged in favor of big business, lawsuits are a devastating competitive weapon for those like Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, who can afford them. Indeed, tort reform, including ending class action suits and preventing people from suing a company if they misuse a product, would spark an explosion of productivity in America. Not just business, but all society as well, suffers as left-wing professors and diversity exploiters use lawsuits and tenure to protect their dangerous, irrational ideas and lies. They put a chill on those who want to expose their lies, by silencing the critics trying to tell the truth. Lawyers and judges act like the secret police of totalitarian regimes around the globe. By killing dissent and controlling the thinking of the masses, they keep evil dictators in power. Legal Vultures Looking for a growing business opportunity? Go on TV and find anybody who claims to have an asbestos-related injury. A RAND report states that over 600,000 people in the U.S. filed claims for asbestos-related injuries, costing businesses more than $54 billion by the end of 2000. Indeed, three decades after Manville Corporation collapsed under an avalanche of asbestos litigation, personal injury claims continue to pile up at a rate of 85 per day. The Manville Trust has already paid out $4.3 billion. The RAND study found that 65% of compensation over the past decade was paid to people with non-cancerous conditions. Increasing claims by those with no cancer and little functional impairment explain the recent growth in the asbestos caseload. There are too many lawyers in America already, and in 2019, 33,954 students graduated from law school in the United States. Too many lawyers mean too many more frivolous lawsuits. Of course a Google search will find scores of sites by fraudulent lawyers looking for an asbestos claim but barely a word about the massive fraud attempts. You do know liability lawyers are big supporters of Democrats where the businesses these leeches who are usually Republican? International Criminal Court, ICC. Whatever the motives behind the creation of the International Criminal Court, let's not be blind to the fact that the preservation of a decent world order depends chiefly on the exercise of American leadership. For both geopolitical and constitutional reasons, we should not be in the business of delegating leadership or compounding difficult exercises by creating unaccountable, supranational bodies. Like most attempts at building international convention, the ICC created a Frankenstein similar to the UN, which is now its partner in crime. The ICC is based on an emotional attachment to the abstract ideal of an international justice system, and runs contrary to American standards of constitutional order as well as the principles of international crisis resolution. The concerns expressed by John R. Bolton, our former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee about the 1988 creation of the International Criminal Court, ICC, in Rome, are as valid today as they were then, since no major, substantive change has been made to the treaty. Bolton stated that the conference created not only a court with sweeping and poorly defined jurisdiction, but also a powerful and unaccountable prosecutor. Bolton saw through the obvious but concealed agenda of those states looking to create more international organizations to bind nations in general and the United States in particular. 
Unfortunately, President Clinton signed the ICC treaty, one that he himself admitted was flawed, having no intention of submitting it to the Senate for ratification. His purpose was to put the U.S. in a position to help correct the flaws. But as others have noted, the treaty was not only flawed, but actually dead on arrival. Without the U.S., the ICC would have hopefully rested in peace, but the naive support for the ICC left the U.S. in a weaker position than if we had simply declared the treaty a non-starter in the first place. The ICC was created as an organization outside the UN system, a decision I would normally say was wise. Unfortunately, by excluding the UN, the Security Council and the veto power of the US as one of the Council's five permanent members, was also eliminated. The American concept of separation of power reflects our belief that the various authorities legitimately exercised in government are placed in separate branches, as a necessary system of checks and balances. Europeans, however, may feel comfortable with a system that vests the ICC prosecutor with enormous law enforcement powers accountable to no one. Bolton concluded that the ICC is in fact a stealth approach to eroding constitutionalism. Americans should find this unacceptable. Be aware of liberal Democrats under pressure from left-wing Europeans to pump life back into the ICC Frankenstein. The left would love to have such a weapon to use against US troops and their leaders, a type of Nuremberg trial to denigrate our courageous war heroes. Uninformed, biased, left-wing Eurotrash prefer to support terrorist regimes in Palestine, and the cowardly toads that run Iran would love to target our troops in their kangaroo courts. These are the kinds of things we can expect from an overly powerful ICC. Criminals' Rights and Justice for Victims This year, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics National Crime Victimization Survey, NCVS, 3.3 million U.S. residents aged 12 or older were victims of violent crime in 2018. Based on the soaring crime rates in progressive-run cities, do you think crime will increase or decrease with left-wing radical pro-criminal prosecutors and defund the police efforts being pushed by BLM and other Biden supporters? When it happens, the victims will be in for a number of surprises. Somewhere along the way, the criminal justice system began to serve lawyers, judges, and defendants. Victims are now treated with institutionalized disinterest. The neglect of crime victims is a national disgrace. They may suffer untold emotional grief, financial hardship, and public humiliation, only to watch the offender become the center of attention in a legal system that tips the scales ever more heavily in favor of the criminal. Criminals are the bottom feeders of society, and do not deserve the attention and rights they are currently receiving. Plea bargains. According to a recent study from the Pew Research Center, of the roughly 80,000 federal prosecutions initiated in 2018, just 2% went to trial. More than 97% of federal criminal convictions are obtained through plea bargains, and the states are not far behind at 94%. Why are people so eager to confess their guilt instead of challenging the government to prove their guilt beyond a reasonable doubt to the satisfaction of a unanimous jury? Albert Oskler, professor at the University of Chicago, thinks, like many others, that there is nothing good about plea bargaining. Oskler starts with what the sentences lead to. You have two people who've committed the same crime. They have the same background, and one is going to get twice as severe a sentence as the other because he's exercised the right to trial. The argument in favor of plea bargaining asserts that by pleading guilty instead of going to trial, the uncertainty of trial outcome is reduced. For the state, it also saves time and money. The bottom line is that almost all felons serve less time and are out on the street earlier to become repeat offenders as a result of this revolving door justice. I do, however, agree that the system would collapse if every case went to trial. We squander too much money on the judicial system as is. Sentencing Guidelines To check plea bargaining abuses, 
We must have sentencing guidelines like the three strikes rules that take away discretion from liberal judges, who allow repeat felons to prey on society by continuing the plea bargain game. In response to rising crime rates, California instituted these strikeout laws. Under these laws, the second or third felony offense is met with more severe punishment than the first. Opponents and those who care more about these losers than protecting society claim that the laws are expensive and do not deter crime, but as usual, convict coddlers are wrong. A three-strikes law requires a person who is convicted of a severe or violent felony, along with two additional qualifying felonies, to serve a mandatory life sentence in prison. More than half of the states in the U.S. currently have some form of a habitual offender law. In California, even misdemeanor offenses have been qualifiers as a strike under these laws. The benefit of a three-strikes law is that it can remove potentially violent offenders from the general population. This keeps a community safer. The disadvantage is the cost of housing an offender for the rest of their natural life. In the United States, the average cost of incarceration can be as high as $75,000 per year. What are some of the pros of a three-strikes law? 1. It is a deterrent against crime. Strong laws typically help to reduce the rate of crime that a community experiences. Those who would be at risk for offending have a value proposition that must be considered. Is the benefit of the crime worth the risk of what happens to them should they get caught? With the threat of a lifetime in prison on a third felony, the value proposition often swings toward not committing the crime. 2. They can reduce felony arrests. In California, felony arrests have declined by up to 20% in some years with the implementation of three strikes laws. This is an additional point of emphasis to show how such a mandatory sentence can act as a deterrent to crime. 3. It keeps habitual offenders in prison. 45% of federal inmates are arrested again within five years of their release. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 77% of all inmates are arrested again within five years. A 2014 Swedish study, reported by PolitiFact, found that 1% of the population accounted for 63% of all violent crime convictions. The three strikes law is designed to keep these habitual offenders in prison so that the rest of the society can experience greater safety. 4. It provides justice for victims. One of the biggest fears that most victims have is that the offender who committed a crime against them will one day return to do the same thing once again. This is especially true when considering violent crime. Although any system of justice implemented by humans is going to be imperfect at some level, the three strikes law helps to protect victims and give them the peace of mind that they need. 5. The three strikes law applies to convictions only. Because convictions are the emphasis of the law, people are still treated as being innocent until proven guilty. No matter how many arrests may occur for an individual, if they are not convicted of a crime, then they don't have any strikes count against them on their record. 6. It works. Data from the FBI Uniform Crime Reports and the Bureau of Justice estimates that during the first two years after the legislation's enactment, approximately eight murders, 3,982 aggravated assaults, 10,672 robberies, and 384,488 burglaries were deterred in California using the three strikes legislation. The law resulted in an increase of 17,700 further larcenies, as criminals substituted strike-able offenses with non-strike-able offenses. The deterrence of these crimes saved victims approximately $889 million. Since some criminals substitute other crimes not on the list of strike-able offenses, the study suggested that the list be expanded to include the most common substitutes for strike-able offenses as well. Of course, as hopefully you will have learned by now, 
a Google search will lead with pages of bias left-wing reasons three strikes is a failed policy and almost no support for this effective deterrent. Getting away with murder. What do lefty, never met a killer and didn't like journalists and political activists, naive all criminals are innocent student lawyers, and they're media savvy, watch me again twist DNA evidence to free the guilty experts have in common. They all use shoddy statistics. Jamie Snyder in the Columbia Daily Spectre reviews a Columbia University study that claimed there was an amazing 68% error rate in capital punishment. The study concluded that capital punishment is collapsing under the weight of its own mistakes. The widely circulated study immediately set off my right brain bullshit meter when I first heard it. Instinctively, I know that more OJs were getting away with murder, and every con claims to be innocent, but 99.9% are as guilty as hell. Snyder points out, and the media failed to mention, that Columbia law professor James Lieberman's meaning of error rate was not that 68% of people on death row were found to be innocent. On the contrary, Lieberman and his co-authors were unable to find a single case in the 23 years they reviewed cases in which an innocent man was executed. This was another case of a big lie told long enough to become truth. In the Wall Street Journal, Professor of Law Paul Castle revealed that the 68% error rate turns out to include any reversal of a capital sentence at any stage by appellate courts, even if those courts ultimately upheld the capital sentence. Likewise, the 1 in 7 ratios, commonly purported to expose the egregious level of errors made in death penalty cases, are misleading. Disseminators of the statistics say that for every 7 people executed, one has his sentence overturned. MIT professor Arnold Barnett called the ratio meaningless, because it does not constitute an error rate as many people ignorantly assumed. An error rate is computed by dividing the number of innocent persons executed by the total number executed. Remember not a single innocent person was executed in the 23-year Columbia study, reporting how many people were not executed yields no insight, according to Barnett, simply because it does not necessarily represent a flaw in the system. It instead shows that the system corrected itself, not that any execution was or has been incorrectly performed. Ah, the criminal version of the racism song again. Another lie perpetrated to help murderers and rapists supports the misconception that those sitting on death row are victims of racism. Unfortunately, the ranting, anti-death penalty, diversity crowd and their professors at left-wing law schools have just one more lie to use in their propaganda mill. The Bureau of Justice Statistics shows that convicted white murderers are more likely to be sentenced to death than their black counterparts. In looking for another means to push their agenda, Capital punishment opponents argued that black murderers with white victims are more likely to get the death penalty than white murderers with black victims. The numbers are easily distorted because 80% of the United States is white, and only 13% is black. If murderers selected their victims at random, for every 10 murders committed by whites, only one victim would be black, whereas for every 10 murders committed by blacks, 8 victims would be white. Justice delayed is justice denied. Many activists also argue that the death penalty is too expensive, saying it costs more than simply giving convicts life sentences. But of course, the reason for the added expense of executing people is not the result of added due process, but the unnecessary delays in federal courts. Between 1977 and 2017, the average time a condemned prisoner sat on death row increased five times more from just over four years to over 20 years in 2017. Society overcompensates for the risk of sentencing an innocent person to jail by going to the other extreme and freeing many guilty people, who are then allowed to elude punishment in this life. As the OJ trial clarified, society must lower the ridiculously high burden of proof, the DNA game, and the if it doesn't fit we must acquit circus games. We are innocent victims suffering as innocent criminals slip through the growing flaws in our justice system.